prophecy is what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we have, of course, on Sunday evenings, you're thinking, oh man, we're doing so much prophecy all the time. On Sunday evenings, we have, of course, been studying prophecy, uh, but we are not going to study prophecy this morning as we have been on Sunday evenings, uh, because on Sunday nights, we're talking about foretelling, uh, to tell the future, that version of prophecy. But the verb prophesy, it's very confusing, only one letter difference between prophecy and prophesy, in the Bible, that doesn't really mean to tell the future. That verb can mean that as part of the uh, overall umbrella of what prophecy is. But the Hebrew word nava, which is what's uh, pro translated prophecy in the Old Testament, is to bubble up or to pour forth. As in, the speaker cannot help but speak out of the overflow of inspiration, right? The Spirit fills these uh, people with such overflowing of information that they can't help but speak what is being uh, given to them. Of course, uh, uh, Peter says a very similar thing to the council of, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 4 when he says we cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. That's the Hebrew word, of course. The Greek word, which is, again, a transliteration, prophetuo, to can mean to tell the future, but in general really means to speak as one authorized by God. And so when we think of the word prophecy, and, and I, I tried to emphasize this on Sunday nights, but of course we're, we're specifically talking about telling the future on Sunday nights, we should not understand the word prophecy in the Bible to mean foretelling. That's not how we should be viewing that word by default when we read it in Scripture. It's rather God speaking through human agents, through a human. God giving them the words to tell to whoever it is that they're telling, right? In the Old Testament, they had a lot of prophets. In the New Testament, they are a lot of prophets as well. And in, in the New Testament, specifically when the New Testament talks about the apostles and prophets, it's not saying the apostles and people who tell the future. It's apostles and people who speak from God. People who tell us what God says. And so while prophecy is not the only method of divine communication, many people receive dreams and visions, and sometimes God just literally appeared and talked to people. Sometimes he sends an angel, right? There's all these different ways that God communicates. It does seem to be, as we look through the Bible, God's primary choice is the prophet, the human agent who will deliver God's message to the people. And of course, it is the one that matters most to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. He came and preached, this is Jesus, of course, came and preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Who's the both there? The both would be the Jews of the Old Testament who had this old, old prophi, uh, prophetai, uh, prophesied, couldn't think of the word, this old prophesied law, prophesied not in the sense that it was telling the future, but prophesied in the sense that Moses was a prophet who gave them the law and they had this relationship with God. And of course the prophets did tell the future that there would be a time when the rest of the world would be included, the Gentiles. So when he says we both have access, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What's being built? The household of God is being built. 
And yet in the sort of the sentence structure, it, it is really that the you are being built. You are the fellow citizens and members of the household built on the foundation. Because, of course, we understand that the household of God is what? The people. Right? We are the temple. And this house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What does that mean? Well, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone as a prophet himself, right? Jesus, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on Jesus being a prophet because he is God. So is he using a human agent? I guess he was human. You could go back and forth on that. Of course, he is just God telling us what God wants because he, Jesus is God. And yet he is speaking, of course, from the Father. And so in that sense, he is a prophet because the Father gave him things to say that he spoke. And again, not on his own authority, but on the Father's authority, right? And of course, so that model, the model of Jesus submitting to the will of the Father is extended to the apostles and the prophets who are not saying their own stuff, but whose? The Father's stuff. They are speaking the Father's will. And that foundation, the things that the apostles and prophets said, is then the foundation of this household, this congregation, this universal, not just our congregation, but our congregation is part of the global whole of the church in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, built with the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are being built into this dwelling place by the Spirit. How? Well, in some sense we're being built into this by the indwelling of the Spirit. But if the foundation is the apostles and the prophets, then we're being built on their work, the proclaiming of God's truth. The Spirit, by inspiring these prophets to tell us what God wants, is building us into God's dwelling place. And so Peter says in 2 Peter 1, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you. Made known to you is the key idea here. Made known to you the power of the coming, a power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the we there? Well, more specifically, probably apostles, but would apply to all of the prophets of which Peter was one. You can't be an apostle and not be a prophet. You're, that sort of has to go together. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he, re when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is a means of God speaking that's not a prophet, right? Because this is just God saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And of course the dove comes down at his baptism. And, and this of course also is repeated at the transfiguration where God just sort of says stuff. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. That's one version of God communicating. But then the second, we have the prophetic word. That is, word which was given through humans. People speaking on God's authority. More fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture. And again, this is not foretelling. He's not saying no foretelling of Scripture, but no prophecy that is people speaking on God's behalf comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we come to this idea, prophecy as the core 
the foundation of God's household, the work of the apostles and prophets. Some wish for, and I've got more in quotations here. We'll talk about that in a minute. Some wish for more than prophecy. Individual revelation. Personal, prophetic knowledge. Maybe you're one of those that really wishes that. Why did God rely on prophets? Why does God not just beam into everybody's minds exactly what he wants them to know? Why rely on a human intermediary, an agent, to reveal his will? Some would prefer more than that. And yet God working through an intermediary, the prophet prophesying his will, what does that do? Well, it unifies the message. I can be confident that we all have the same responsibility towards God because... He is not telling us all individually what to do. He told the prophet what to say. The prophet told us, and now we all listen to the prophet. Unifies God's expectations for us. It preserves it for future generations. The prophet speaking, of course, and then the recording of the prophetic utterance preserved for all time. And so we have the words of the prophets because God is not just giving it to us directly. He gave it to them and it was preserved for us. And so it builds faith on the part of the people that I am going to trust that what this prophet said. And yet, I'm not just going to trust blindly the prophets because the prophetic method demands more active participation on the part of the hearers. I'm not just going to sit back and God's just going to beam it into my brain what he wants me to do, but I'm going to have to be actively involved in pursuing that truth. What prophet should I be listening to? Who should I be listening to? What should I listen to? I need to be active in my pursuit of that, which is why the Bereans, right? We're told in Acts chapter 17 that the Bereans were more noble as Christians. Why? Because they were examining the scriptures daily to check the prophetic utterance of Paul. Paul claiming to be a prophet. I claim to be from God. I claim to say things from God. And so what are the Bereans doing? Well, let's make sure about that by checking the scriptures daily. Though, of course, this method of divine communication is not without its dangers. Prophetic utterance, prophecy has some temptation. As Peter says, of course, in 2 Peter at the end of chapter 1, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But what's the inherent danger? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. What is implied by the phrase, the way of truth? There is but one way. That way revealed by prophecy. These false prophets, these false teachers, those who will claim to have God's authority. Those who will claim to be speaking on God's behalf, who will, rather than teach the way of truth that the prophets uttered, who will bring in these false destructive heresies, who will deny the master, who will blaspheme the way of truth. And the danger of the false prophet is an inherent risk to God's chosen model of revelation. God who chose to reveal his will through the prophets this is the flip side of that. 
But this is not new. This has always been the case. And we see this as far back as Jeremiah, even further than this, but I chose Jeremiah because I like the, the, the way that it highlights and emphasizes this idea. Jeremiah 14, verse 13. Jeremiah said, he's the I here, Lord, ah, Lord God. I don't know, oh, I don't know how that's supposed to be. It's like, ah, ah, Lord God. Behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them, or uh, command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. That's what Peter was talking about. People who will bring in destructive heresies of their own minds, right? The seat of their own minds. Their greed leads them to speak with false words, just like in Jeremiah's day. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, though I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. And the people whom they pro to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the street of Jerusalem victims of famine and sword, and none to bury them. Them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, I will pour out their evil upon them. The things that they say will not happen. It's sort of there's poetic justice here. The things the prophets were saying, don't worry about, that's what God says I'm going to do to those prophets. Because they were falsely prophesying. This is exactly what Peter's saying, right? Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And so what is the promised outcome for those who falsely came to speak for Yahweh? The promised outcome is destruction. Maybe not in this life. In the Old Testament, it was in this life. In the Old Testament, God smote them. But as we come to the New Covenant, the burden of responsibility that is placed upon us, the hearers of prophecy, the receivers of the prophetic word, what is our responsibility? What does Peter say? To pay close attention. Because the promised outcome, not just for those who claim to speak falsely, but for those who listen to such false messages, is destruction. God's prophecy demands obedience. And we know, of course, that there are many who will profit off of their false prophesying. Ooh, I could really alliterate that. False prophets who profit. Of course, we're talking about making gain, right? Not, not profit in the sense that we've been saying, but to accumulate large amounts of wealth because I'm speaking falsely on God's behalf. You know people like that. Of course you do. They may not receive this destruction in this life, but we know that their destruction will come in the next. And so Acts chapter 3, as we begin to make application. Acts 3 verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, talking to the Jews here when they crucified Jesus. But what God foretold, here it is, the foretelling by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, 
the Lord will raise the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. Moses was not a prophet really intent on telling the future. He did tell the future in some cases, in this case particularly. But Moses' primary work as a prophet was not foreteller. His primary work as a prophet was law giver. To give the law of God to the people, to take the commandments of God and to convey them to those people that were expected to obey the commandments. And so when Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, it is that that he is speaking about. Not a prophet like me who will tell the future, but a prophet like me who will tell you what God expects. What God demands of you. Which is why twice he says at the beginning, repent therefore and turn back. And then he says what? You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Does not listen in what? Does, what does that mean? Does not listen to that prophet. It doesn't mean those who do not hear, but those who do not accept and obey. Just like those who did not accept and obey Moses prophesying, not the prophesying about the future. Again, I really want to emphasize this point. The prophet Moses did not tell them the future that they needed to obey these foretellings. He told them, now, right now, what does God expect of you? Just like Jesus tells us, not about the future, he does some a little bit, but mostly Jesus tells us, right now, what does God expect of you? To repent, therefore, and turn back from your old way of living. We keep reading in Acts chapter 3. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after them also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets, of course the Jews specifically, and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, this is Jesus, sent him to you first, the Jews first, but of course to the Gentiles as well, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The ultimate goal of prophecy is not to tell the future. It is to inspire change in the people who hear the prophecy. And to be clear, that was the case in the Old Testament too. The prophets, as even they were telling the future, as warning and proof that people should listen telling the people what would happen in the future. You think about all the minor prophets that we've read and even the major prophets and all the things that are going to happen to the people of Israel. It was not about the future. It was about the now. If you do not change, this will happen. If you are not transformed, these are the consequences that will arise. So even as the prophets were telling the future, they expected immediate response. Not some far-flung thing. But foretelling, again, not being the main goal, transformation is the goal of prophecy. That you and I would hear the words of the prophets and respond. Which is why we're going to end with Revelation 22, the verse that was read at the beginning of this sermon. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. These words more specifically applying to the book of Revelation, but applying to the book of the, all the books of the Bible as a whole, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. There is an element, of course, of foretelling. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That is, even Revelation, which is thinking about things that will happen in the future from their perspective, 
Even then, it was not about the future. It was about the now. Will you obey now? I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I, I imagine him being horrified. Because, of course, if he lets this go on, what's God going to do to him? You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Have you ever thought about yourself as a fellow servant to the angels? A fellow servant to a being like Michael? Shown to be such powerful and majestic and mighty, and yet he is but a mere servant with us. A servant of the God of the spirit of the prophets. The God who gives the message matters more than the messenger. And so what does he say at the end? The only logical response to prophecy. Worship God. Because he is the only one that deserves it.